0: This is the second lesson in the series, Christ Through the Ages, and I've entitled it, The Eternal Plan, Effected at the Perfect Time. In the first lesson, in addition to giving an overview of the podcasts, the whole series, we talked about Christ's divinity, that the Alpha and the Omega is the first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega, New Testament is the God of the Old Testament, who is the first and the last. And thus Christ is in all the ages. And then the concept that the ages are the age to come as well as the present age. And in the Jewish thinking, the age to come replaces the present age all at once, whereas in the Christian thinking, it's different. It's not just an expectation. It's a proclamation that that age to come has already broken through. So again, Christ, the eternal Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, is equated with Yahweh. That is, Jesus is divine. And we have the present age and the age to come. This present world has been interpenetrated by the future world. One is broken into the other. A new day is dawning. Now, considering God's omniscience, his knowledge of the future, uh, and because he's first and the last, he has all knowledge, Uh, Psalm 147, 1 John 3, other passages support the idea of God's omniscience, but also because God is all loving, God is love. It's hardly surprising that he would have provided for our redemption from the beginning of the world, from before the foundation of the world, because he knew the direction things would go. That doesn't mean that he caused it or necessarily that he willed it. He permitted it and he was prepared. And that's really what providence is. It's providing based on seeing in advance. I want to read a few passages from the New Testament um, in this uh, installment, Uh, six in fact, and then we're going to follow that by um, a beautiful um, hymn, early Christian hymn, uh, which is found in the book of Philippians. And that will be the, the study we do today on this theme of God's eternal plan, which was brought into effect at the perfect time. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. It's a passage about redemption. You know, it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold. We were redeemed from the empty way of life. You know, beautiful passage, 118, 119, 120. So the idea that God... His whole plan, and you could see more of this in passages like Acts 2, 22 and following, this whole plan was known before the foundation of the world, okay? Uh, and then Titus 2, 12, it, it's a passage about the grace of God, and it says that it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, you see, some people might say, well, it doesn't really matter how we live now because Jesus covers me. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus, so it doesn't really matter how I live. But in the next age, then I'll live a holy life. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12. But more, this passage actually says that God's grace, You know, if, if we're really being affected by God's grace, it's changing us. It's transforming us so that we can live holy lives in this present age. Okay, so that's a passage on the present age. Ephesians 1.20 and 21 talk about the next age, as does Hebrews 6.5. Let me read those two passages. It talks about God's action in raising Christ from the dead, seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So there again you have it, the two ages, this world, this age, and the one to come. And by the way, if you want something to chew on, in Greek, uh, the language of the New Testament, the word age is directly related to the word eternal. And it's the same in Latin, and you could make a similar argument from Hebrew. Um, in my book on Heaven and Hell, published 2013, I I go into this um, in, in the, at, at, to some length, but it, it's important because we, we tend to think uh, eternity is all about infinite time, and that may well be. But the, the basic sense of what's eternal is what uh, endures in the next age. So it's pertaining to an age. Okay, Hebrews 6.5 speaks about those who walk away from God, who have fallen away. And according to Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, 2 Peter 2, and many other passages, if we actually uh, give up on God and we fall away, then it would be impossible to return. Now, we might wander, we might stumble, but to fall, uh, that's to cross um, a line that can never be uncrossed. And so that has implications even for our terminology. So in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, it's the passage on falling away. And it's assuring us that these people who have just said no to Jesus, and, and, and in some way they can never even come back, uh, it says they have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Okay, So it's not just that we are told to live a holy life in this age, but we actually experience something of the age to come because that day is already dawning though no one would say that the sun is you know has reached its uh, highest position so in these passages Titus Ephesians Hebrews we read clearly about the present age and the age to come and we see that God's eternal plan uh, taking the end in mind from the very beginning and involving Jesus Christ is this plan is put into effect at just the right time, and, and I want to establish this more with these next three passages. First Corinthians 10 is a chapter that warns us to learn from history, uh, particularly to learn four painful lessons uh, that the people of God should have known in the Old Testament, and in the beginning of that chapter, it says that the ancient uh, Israelites, in a sense, were baptized, in a sense, they took the Lord's Supper, in a sense, but Somehow, they became overconfident, and sin was their undoing, and just as they fell, we have to watch ourselves lest we fall. Okay, that's the context. I'm reading verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Okay, so there's a a change going on. There's a transition, a shift. Something is happening here, and... And that's why it's not inappropriate to say that, the, to proclaim the end is near, because the end is already broken into the present. The future has, has dawned. It's broken into the present. Uh, a number of times you see the phrase, the last days. Well, are we in the last days? Sure we are. It's the last period of human history. And it's, it's a period where the future, uh, that future age is already shining, breaking through, interpenetrating. And then the curtain comes down. Okay, let's look at another passage. Hebrews 9.26 speaks about Jesus as our perfect high priest, suffering, dying only once, offering but a single sacrifice. And we read in the end of that passage, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So again, the end of the ages. So the timing is important. 1 Timothy two five, for there is one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. Again, it's like Acts 2, God's set purpose and foreknowledge. So at the appointed time, just at the right time, Jesus didn't come too early and he didn't come too late. It's not as though God's plan would have been enhanced if Jesus came in uh, 1945 or 2122. He came at just the right time. Nor would it have been better if he'd come earlier, say in the time of David, 1000 BC, or in the time of Malachi, 400 BC. No, he came at just the right time. The timing was perfect. And if you know anything about the history of the Roman Empire and Greek culture before the Roman Empire and really the the political stability, what's called the Pax Romana, the uh, opportunity for the gospel to be taken globally um, out uh, by by missionaries, you'll know that the timing was incredible in the uh, first century when Jesus came. So the current age will be completely eclipsed and then brought to nothing as the world to come dominates, and Christ will be acknowledged universally. There's a there's a passage I would like you to to uh, keep in the back of your mind. In First Corinthians 15, we read uh, that uh, God will be all in all at the very end, and uh, I don't want to get um, uh, sidetracked into this, but just if you could keep in the back of your mind this image that ultimately uh, the the sovereignty, the kingdom. Uh, will be God's, and all enemies will be vanquished. Okay, keep that in mind. I want to read Philippians 2. Uh, I'll start in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, and then here we have what's called Carmen Christi, the Song of Christ, um, and the scholars believe it's a hymn. It's hymnic material, and this hymn uh, has been taken over by Paul, as he often does. He takes parts of hymns or parts of creeds, or he quote you know, quotations from other people, and he works them into his letters or speeches. And so here's what he's quoting. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so there there we're reading of Jesus's incarnation and his humiliation, and now we're about to read about his exaltation. so God becomes flesh, that's the incarnation, the humiliation he comes down to our level, he's a servant, and he humbles himself and obeys, even though it means death, and continue, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that is a beautiful passage. And what's being said here is that the exaltation of Christ will eventually lead to all the world confessing that he is Lord. Now, that's not the same as confessing him as Lord because that's something that is done uh, through the action of the Holy Spirit uh, as we become Christians. No, if you look at the passage that verse 11, the last verse I read, um, is actually citing. It's in the prophet Isaiah. You'll see it in the notes I've given you here. And it's a passage where the enemies of God, even they uh, against their will have to bow the knee. They, they have to confess uh, the God's sovereignty. So this passage is not saying that everyone will be saved, but he's saying that eventually uh, Christ will reign. This is the exaltation. I would like to read those final verses one more time. Therefore, God has exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, at the end, at the last judgment, the truth will be clear, but of course, too late for many. But the truth will be manifest at that point. Everyone will admit that Jesus is Lord because the truth will be clear. There'll be no denying it. And as the judgment takes place. Uh, God will be all in all. Now, that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, I admit, I hadn't really thought about it until oh, just a couple of years ago. All these years as a Christian, and somehow I, I had missed something. Well, this has big implications, because most Christians think that at the end, there'll be two kingdoms. You see, it's a standoff between the devil and his kingdom and God and his kingdom. And God will be up in heaven. The devil will be down in hell. He'll be sitting on his throne just as God sits on his. And the devil will have his ministers, his minions, and everyone who follows him will be down there. And both kingdoms will be eternal. Ah, is it so, though? If God is all in all, then does that mean he's in the devil? (laughs) He's in hell? Maybe. Uh, by a stretch of the imagination, but maybe there's another way to look at it. Let me talk about the implications of this, this last passage that we've read in Philippians 2. God's enemies will admit the truth, even though they're not saved. Because as he will say in the following verse, salvation must be worked out with fear and trembling, though the enemies of God are fearing and trembling, but their fear and trembling is just too late. So ultimately, all will see the truth. Implications for the devil, well, has implications for him and for hell. Because even if hell did continue to exist forever, which I doubt, I incline to the view of C.S. Lewis, his view that that hell would occupy but a minuscule portion of the universe, so small, so tiny. See, it's not as though Satan and God are are equals. But I think many Christians think they are. They think it's 50-50. Satan has all the evil, and those who follow that course, and God has the good, and it's a an ultimate and infinite and eternal standoff. But that's not the way I see it. I see God's enemies being vanquished and being destroyed, and that ultimately there'll be not two kingdoms but only one. Think about that. Well, this would enhance the point from the previous lesson that Christ is not only the focal character of history, but also that he is the culmination of history we find true purpose everlasting meaning only in christ and this would also imply that in a sense whatever is not anchored in christ isn't real oh not to deny that the desk at which i'm sitting is unreal or the window out of which i'm looking at evergreens is uh, is is insubstantial no these are real but i'm i'm speaking of ultimate permanence whatever's not anchored in christ will not endure because only his kingdom will last eternally. Please think about this. What a lofty theme. And that kingdom is made manifest and Jesus came. And of course, as Jesus came, the kingdom came. That plan was effected at the perfect time and we should not doubt it. We should not doubt it. This means it's all about Christ. Purposeful lives are found in Christ. I find my meaning in Christ. When I start drifting away and trying to find meaning in something else, whether it's uh, entertainment or uh, the values of the world or sin, whether it's uh, something that uh, is bound up in self-focus or even good causes, but without a consciousness of the one who died for me, something's not right. Purposeful lives are found in Christ. God is what gives us our meaning. And one more implication. You know, the, the Bible talks about the mystery, uh, the Christ in us, the hope of glory, we read that in Colossians. If Christ is in us and Christ is God's plan, then we really do have something to share with others. Now, in the next three lessons, we'll be covering a number of Messianic passages and themes in the Old Testament. In the very next lesson, that Christ is visible in the Old Testament law. And you may be wondering how that could be. Well, you'll just have to listen to the next lesson. And I think there may be, I hope there will be some passages you've never even thought of before as portraying the Messiah. But they do. Thank you for listening to Lesson 2 in the series, Christ Through the Ages, The Eternal Plan Effected at the Perfect Time.